0: Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Guess what? Booking Protect is looking for ticket guides. You're going to ask me what in the world is a Booking Protect ticket guide, and I'm here to tell you. Ticket guides are people we're looking for to review shows and events for us uh, that are willing to share their experiences at events with social media followers uh, and visitors to the BookingProtect.com website. So, Are you passionate about shows or sporting events? I'm assuming the answer is yes, because you're listening to this podcast. Are you a good writer or an experienced vlogger? Maybe you get excited by going to a bunch of different events, not just one or two that you really want to attend, but you're willing to go see almost anything. But maybe most important, are you happy to share your experience with social media followers from Booking Protect, mine, all kinds of people? If you are, I've included a link to the ticket guides application process in the show notes. It's short, quick application. Just tells us what you're interested in, why you want to be a ticket guide, and gives us a little bit of a way to um, make sure we have the right ticket guides. It's going to be great. We're working on getting tickets and experiences for you to share all around the world. Um, So make sure you click on the link in the show notes. I will Tweet out the link, um, and I will post it pretty regularly over the next couple weeks. But check out the Booking Protect Ticket Guide program. Also, if you love tickets, which, I, again, I'm assuming the answer is yes because you're listening to this podcast. Do you get my Talking Tickets newsletter? It is each Friday morning in the u.s so uh, that could be friday afternoon in australia um, friday afternoon in china um, mid-morning in the europe Um, talking tickets it's five top stories from the week with a quick analysis uh, some supporting documents uh, or ideas and some action ideas that you can take and use so talking tickets um, you can get the new- newsletter by visiting my website, it's DaveWakeman.com, and look for the Get Talking Tickets link, and it'll take you right to the place to sign up, and if that's too, um gets confusing for you, just send me an email, DavidDaveWakeman.com with Talking Tickets in the subject line, and I will get you added. Uh, the next issue comes out on Friday. And then finally, I'm doing a webinar on Thursday, March the 12th at noon. Eastern time in the States, uh, called Five Ways to Effectively Use the Secondary Market to Sell Your Tickets. It is built off of and brought to you because of a survey that I did in the Talking Tickets newsletter over the last couple of weeks, and then combined with a survey and a poll I did on Twitter. Uh, I saw a lot of people were struggling with secondary market strategies and secondary market technologies uh, and pricing. So I created a webinar for you. This is a free one, um, which you can get by clicking the link that's going to be in the show notes. Or if you can't find the link and you want to get signed up, um, I'm going to post it on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Or you can send me an email again, uh, dave at davewakeman.com, put webinar. Uh, Secondary market in the subject line, and I will get you the link or I will get you signed up. So check that out. That'll be Thursday, March 12th at at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Today, my guest is Gary Adler. He is the executive director of the National Association of Ticket Brokers, the NATB. And I wanted to have Gary on today to talk about a bunch of different things that are going on in the world of tickets right now. Uh, Last week, there was a hearing on Capitol Hill. Um, In front of Congress, um, there is a case that just completed in the U.K. um, about touts and uh, had a huge fine and long prison terms. Um, There are a bunch of things around transferability and transparency, all in pricing that uh, conversations going on. Um, Gary has been a longtime advocate of a theory that he calls resale done right. Which uh, we've talked about many, many times before. Um, I wanted to have him on and just talk about all kinds of this stuff. So we got into quite a bit. We talked about, um, you know, some of the state-level bills that are going on. We talked about his idea that ticketing is broken. Uh, we brought up, uh, you know, consumer protections. We talked about um, all, the all-in pricing concept. We talked about open markets. We talked about the UK. We talked about um, the hearing on Capitol Hill, we talked about the NATB, we talked about competition, agendas, pricing, all kinds of stuff. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation I had with Gary Adler from the NATB on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome my friend Gary Adler to the Business of Fun podcast. Gary, how's it going?
1: It's going great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, this
0: is going to be exciting. I'm sure that people are going to be... uh very excited to hear what we're going to talk about. Um, so we'll jump right in because I don't think you need an introduction. Lord knows I don't need one. Um, so I want to start out because last week, we're recording this on March 4th. Last week there was a hearing on Capitol Hill um, about all things ticketing, uh, transparency. It seems to be a continuation of the FTC hearing from June, um, and it take it to a new level. Um, as in your role as the executive director of the NATB um, what did you take from the hearing last week?
1: Well, uh, it's a great question. There's so much happening on the Hill. This is just really one part of it. Um, I think you need to look at the, the bigger picture. The, this is a, a result, from, from my perspective, of the introduction of the BOSS Act, uh, which uh, Pascale, Rep. Pascrell introduced, along with Blumenthal and Pallone, uh, Rep. Pallone, um, in November and it was a deep look into the ticketing industry both on the primary side which is the ticket issuer uh side and the resale secondary side so uh th- contained a lot of measures that we were proponents of in fact the NATB was an original endorser of the Boss Act cited in the uh when they announced the act and also I was quoted in the press release with the initial uh announcement of the Boss Act so it contains a lot of measures uh, you know, and, and importantly, it uh, controls uh, measures for both the primary and secondary market. Interestingly, as the NATB, we were pretty much uh, okay with all of the, uh, you know, restrictions or, or rules for the secondary market. So that bill has been pending for a while. I think this investigation was an outgrowth of that and also of the FTC workshop that I had the honor of appearing on last uh, last year, and I think the target were six entities. This was an investigative hearing. Um, I think the you know they did a good job of 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 asking for documents and things like that. I've read all the testimony was there at the hearing. I guess for me, the big takeaways are as follows. One, um, you know transparency is a big issue. I think it's really a great point was made that, you know fans have no idea of how tickets are distributed i always go back you know, or how many tickets are really made available there's also it's used this this curtain's used to create a sense of scarcity when none exists i always go back to this article that came out with the Tampa Bay Rays selling 10 tickets in a section at a time so people would think there's only 10 tickets left when the whole section was available so we one of the big things was that we want some transparency with the, how many tickets are made available on the on sale and how many are actually available to the public. It's important to me because the big argument that we always see against scalpers, and I just did air quotes around that, is that, you know, we scoop up all the tickets, scalpers scoop up all the tickets, use bots, when the reality is the reason you can't get a ticket as a fan to an event is very rarely a bot. It's because so few tickets are made available. And the other thing is, we get very, very rarely get a glimpse behind that curtain because we've advocated for transparency in the manifest or whatever tickets are available, and that is fought tooth and nail by Ticketmaster and its primary um, clients. So the first thing I think, transparency and the availability of tickets, is, was was one of the big takeaways. The second was transferability. I think uh, most people recognize that the inability to transfer a ticket. A fan to do what they want with their ticket when they want to is a gigantic issue. We've now got this advent of the digital ticketing and a tool with rotating barcodes called SafeTix which is being used, we believe, to funnel resale into one space only, which is really, really, really bad for consumers. So transparency was a big thing. And then the last thing was all in pricing, meaning that if Purchasers should know at the time they go early on in the process right away uh, what they're going to be paying. Now you go through a process, and then at the end there's fees added, and uh, I think every single panel participant said they're in favor of all-in pricing as long as it's done universally, because as you know, Dave, StubHub tried to implement that years ago and got creamed, uh, lost a lot of market share. So those were my big takeaways and uh, from the hearing.
0: Yeah. Now, one piece of the transparency puzzle that has come back to me, which, you know, I'm sort of sympathetic to, but I don't know how I 100% feel about it, is you talked about no no openness around how many tickets are for sale. And a friend of mine from the U.K. said, well, hey, like if you go to the car lot and or you go to the Apple store, you don't know really how many iPhones are for sale or you don't know how many, um, you know, Teslas are for sale. What would be, and that's, and that's true, but what would be your argument about this? Because to me, I understand that as a concept, but at the same time, I don't necessarily buy the argument because it's not an apples to apples comparison.
1: Not even close. I mean, if, if, if you, I always use the example of cars, right? If you, can you imagine not being able to resell your car? Uh, as you want, where you want, to be controlled by one person telling you how you're going to sell it, what you're going to sell it for, what you can't sell it for. So it is an app, uh, apples to orange comparison. I've been doing this for 25 years. I have still not come to a conclusion as to why tickets are treated so differently than everything else and why it engenders this passion um, but i do think it's 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 not a fair comparison i'm you know people wanna know you know there's a lot of things about ticketing event ticketing that don't apply to other industries so i don't think that's you know fair i think it's uh, uh it's also a you know a specific commodity uh perishable i guess is the word i might use that uh you know people should transparency is a good thing Especially in a ticket world where you've got big, 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 powerful players fighting for the space. Uh, you know, when I started in this, it was, it was it was it was not as a legitimized business. We've worked hard with our consumer protection measures and keeping our side of the street clean on the resale side. Uh, but of course, the advent of the internet and some great uh, uh, tools for consumers to buy and sell tickets are there. But you know, it's uh, uh, you shouldn't know how many. Tickets are available because this illusion of scarcity is uh, something that is anti-consumer.
0: Right. And to me, it comes back to the idea that you could solve this having to create a perception of scarcity by just being better at marketing, uh, which I think the the secondary market has um, – Really done a great job of being better marketers, uh, you know, especially digital marketers. And so, you know, so sometimes the, some of these things I'm like, going, well, if you just did a better job of marketing, you would, you know, you, some of these issues would take care, would take care of themselves. But something you Yeah, want I, I would, to, oh, go ahead. I sorry.
1: would add to that, Dave, sorry to interrupt, but I would add to that customer servicing too, you know, um, it is, uh, dealing with my members is fantastic customer service. They wouldn't be in this business for long if they didn't, deliver what promised and provide this white glove custom service and I think if you compare the experience as consumers with you know legitimate secondary sites and people players uh compared to what you have to go through on the primary side I think it's not just marketing it's the fact that there's just a great experience
0: yeah and and I know that I've shared this before here on the podcast but that's sort of the part of the background that I have is that really, really like high touch customer service. And I know those people still exist, but you brought up a uh, really important thing is like, when you started out as the executive director of the NATB, it was not necessarily um, seen as maybe as legitimate of a profession as it is now. Uh, And one thing that you also brought up is a Consumer protection, and I want to highlight that because you have a concept that you talk about called resale done right, and I want to frame it because one, you know, issue that came up that highlights your idea of resale done right and the way that the NATB has worked to protect consumers is with ScoreBig, and how at the time ScoreBig uh, collapsed and it left a lot of ticket buyers who had legitimately bought tickets. Uh, Holding tickets that were either could have been worthless, and NATB and your members stepped in and protected them. So, can you talk about that and frame it in the inside this concept of yours called resale done right?
1: Uh, Sure. I'll start with the specific with the Scorbig situation. Uh, I was really proud of the resale community. For the listeners to understand this, that Scorbig was a a well-heeled entity. Where a lot of, where people from Ticketmaster and Primary were, were the key people, seemed to have a lot of money behind it, and then one day the doors closed, uh, leaving big account receivables for brokers with tickets that they weren't going to get paid for, um, that they could have resold, but they, you know, uh, the, the story that was being promoted by people who are against resold, oh, they're going to use, you know, watch out consumers, and that really didn't happen because brokers did the right thing. Recognizing that if, you know, uh, that that would be a slide on the industry. But on the general sense, the, the NATB was created, uh, uh, by the foresight of some, uh, industry people back in 1994. It was a very provincial business back then, Dave, where, you know, there wasn't the internet. So if you wanted Laker tickets, there were people who were in LA that had Lakers and, de- but these men and women got together and realized that we needed to clean up Uh, Our our Side of the Street, the old story of people going to the Rose Bowl and ending up watching it at the Holiday Inn because they got scammed because the tickets that they were promised weren't there. So the first thing we did was to create a system of self-regulation and consumer protections, a code of ethics, so to speak. Um, One of the key provisions is that if you deal with an NATV member, you are going to, if you don't get the tickets as promised... You will not just get a refund, but you will get 200%. So there's this compelling uh, sense of um, uh, comfort. First of all, you're dealing with people. This is their business. They're not going to stay in business. But if if something happens, and some, you know, very rarely does, but then you'll be taken care of. Um, so we uh, have established a strict code of ethics. A lot of other things. We've been anti-bots. You know, we talked a little bit about bots. These are devices that prevent that scoop up all the tickets. NATB was way ahead of the curve. Uh, coming out against bots uh, and uh, our code of ethics prohibits our members from using bots. Um, there are other other provisions I encourage anyone that is dealing with a broker to make sure that they're members of NATB. We've worked so hard that I'm really proud of one of our accomplishments is that we are a national partner of the Better Business Bureau who one of their key tips if you were to go to the Better Business Bureau site is to make sure when you're buying tickets on the resale market to buy from an, that you're buying from an NATP member. You can find our code of ethics on our website, natb.org, along with our bill of rights for ticket purchasers and sellers, you know. Um, you know, one of the key things I keep, and it's kind of out of place here, but one of the big things, is, you know, fan, people's consumers don't just buy tickets, they sell tickets, they have tickets they want to sell, they should be free to, sell those as well. So that's part of our Bill of Rights.
0: Well, I think that that's also very important is that in the environment that we exist in now, it's not that the customer isn't just buying the ticket, they are selling it. And that's a, a big part of the the ecosystem now that maybe didn't take place even 10 or 15 years ago. De- I mean, definitely not 10 or 15 years ago. It's probably really accelerated over the last five to seven years, uh, is that the consumers are Selling the ticket, so having protections in place for them is also probably super, super important. Um, now you brought up some of the, you know, some of these things too, the anti-bots idea and the code of ethics and the self-regulation. And one thing that's going on, and it's kind of been in the news the last maybe 10 to 12, 14 days, uh, is there's a, a criminal decision came down in the United Kingdom, and I know that like most of your work, um, is in the US, but I was kind of curious to get your opinion on what's going on in the UK, especially because there is a, um, you know, there is a bot component and there is some, uh, you know, uh, issues of ethics that have, were raised during the case. And um, there's a lot of people from the UK and the secondary market in the UK that listen to this thing. So I, I was curious, you know, coming from the biggest secondary market uh, market in the U S if you had some thoughts and some ideas and some feet, you know, some just general ideas about what's going on in the UK right now.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't speak specifics, um, but interesting about the UK is uh, uh, one of the big, Issues with ticketing is in the United States, there's years, hundreds of years of precedent that a ticket is not a property bearer instrument like uh, uh, other things. It's a license, uh, that the issuer of that license can uh, have a lot of power to revoke and do whatever they want. And that's used by these, you know, of course, I point out that that laws, those laws, didn't contemplate the fact that a ticket issuer would be using that power to stop competition in the secondary, you know, in the to, from, from, from issuance to scan. But in the UK, a ticket is not a license, so you would think they would have uh, more progressive laws, but it's not turned out that way. Um, I think one of the things I'm proud of is that we have worked hard to advocate for free and open markets. Of course, recognizing that for that to work, there's got to be transparency and a lack of Fraud and deceit. UK has not turned that way, and there's tremendous amount of restrictions on uh, uh, what you know the resale of tickets, and I think it hurts consumers. There's the case you talked about. I don't know a whole lot about it. I only know what I've read in reports. Trying to get a copy of the judge's ruling, but the, you know there were uh, so, uh, two resellers in the UK who just got uh, criminally found guilty and sentenced. I think for a total of 65 years together or something like that, uh, six years together, for doing uh, kind of a laundry list of bad acts, including using bots and other deceptive, fraudulent uh, 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 purchase and sales techniques. But I really don't know enough. I think it is an important decision that I want to learn a lot more about. That's not just the U.K., Dave. As you know, I know you're uh, well-versed in Ticketing around the world. There's efforts in a lot of places to um, restrict uh, resale, which is really bad for consumers. It's all driven by the powerful companies that are on the primary side. It's not done for consumers' benefit. It's always done for their own revenue-generating, um, you know, position. So I think the UK is a great example of efforts that uh, would be devastating to happen in the United States, where the prime, you know, the way I look at it is, we all know the ills of the primary market, the fees, the uh, being, um, you know, directed to one place to buy tickets. Can you imagine if that was the case in the secondary market, and if consumers aren't made aware, or, and, and 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 legislators don't act, that's going to happen in the secondary market as well. So you won't have the competition, and the beauty of the secondary market, where I always end up pointing out because people always see these high demand events and really high prices. Well, you know, go on these sites and you can, all, you know, we've seen stats for major league baseball was 52% of tickets you bought in the secondary market were below what you would pay the box office. Uh, and 40, more than 40% of tickets sell below the face value on the secondary market. So I think the UK is an interesting uh, thing. I think it's a, confluence of a number of factors as to why they're so anti-consumer. Obviously, if people do bad, fraudulent things, they should be punished. Uh, But you also have to make sure it's not being used as a tool to thwart competition that benefits consumers.
0: Yeah, and I think the um, one thing that about the UK that I do like is the fact that um, in almost every case, there's an Allotment that's given to primary side consumers, which um, is different than we have here in the states, and that has helped in a lot of cases with having a more open market. Because I think some of the things you just highlighted about the U.S. market, especially around you know keeping the markets open, uh, you highlighted the fifty-two percent of tickets on baseball that were sold below face value. One of the issues that I see from with transferability and open markets is that if you or trying to keep an artificial floor or if you're keeping, uh, you know, some sort of artificial, uh, governor on the machine that's selling the tickets is that it, it's harmful for consumers, but it also, it just hurts the industry because, um, again, it goes back to me. It's always a marketing decision or a marketing challenge where you got to do a better job of creating demand for your, you know, for the tickets you're selling. And, you know, when I look at transferability and open markets, I look at that as like, hey, if we're not careful, we step into a monopoly thing. Which I guess, if I'm wrong, I think like Ticketmaster now has 80% of the American market or something like this. You create a, an environment where there's no innovation on marketing and selling to consumers, right? There's no innovation on generating demand, and that just hurts everybody, um, you know. And that's sort of been, you know, the, the lens that I use to look through it. Um, you know and, and so so you know so like the, all these comments that you know they make to me they you know they kind of add up in a way that like we have to do more from as a market as a marketing industry yeah i uh, couldn't agree with you more you know
1: it's uh my theme these days is that ticketing is broken i mean you look around and uh, you know every i think every sports league has had a Dramatic decline in, a, in season tickets and certainly in attendance. I always use the example. I, I'm a Baltimore Raven uh, guy. I've been going every year. Uh, you could not find a visiting team there. You couldn't. Fi- you couldn't find an empty seat till the last two years. And there's tons of empty seats even for big games. You know, we. we uh, I forget the exact stat, but the Ticketmaster rep. At the um, congressional hearing, talked about a tremendous, I forget the exact number, but of seats that go unsold. You know, ticketing is broken. And I think in large part it's because of the um, attempts to thwart, you know, resale and competition. It's, you know, I use the saying, it's like jumping over a dollar to chase a dime. They're so angry that somebody might make money off of their event. Uh, that they're really messing with their, you know, core business. So I'm hoping that, you know, and I think that the BOSS Act uh, corrects some of those ills, but I'm hoping that people wake up and realize uh, that a vibrant, open, clean, transparent, secondary market where market forces can control, you know, uh, what consumers pay, not uh, artificial limits, whether it's a price floor, you know. Do people realize that? The impos- there's going to be impositions if the if what we're seeing happens that you, can, you will have to pay uh, uh, a certain amount regardless of the fact that the market would dictate if it was free that you'd be paying a lot less or the maximum that you could sell a ticket for. Um, so I think you're right on.
0: Yeah, and, and I get it, right, too, and this is something I talk about pretty regularly is – if you don't want, if you, you know, if you want to put certain controls on your ticket, right, it's incumbent upon you to become extremely a better marketer, right? So you can, you see bands who are able to do that and you see teams that are able to do that. The thing is though, it's like to create artificial limits, you know, high or low, that seems to me that is having a lot of unintended consequences.
1: Well, there's, you know, the other thing is there's always a hidden agenda. You know, I go, So I've been saying for years, like, you know, people advocate that if an artist wants $25 tickets to go to their fans, they should have the right to do that. And my points have been always been, look, first of all, 90, I use 95%. I think it might be more of the time where artists say that there's a revenue generating. They, you know, they want to create revenue for themselves. That's the impetus behind it, not this altruistic idea that they're going to get it. And second of all, in those rare instances where the artist really has that motive in mind, it's ill-advised. It's it's good intentions gone bad because all you're doing is raising, you know, is creating a choke of supply, which means, you know, look, fans are going to want to see their band and they're going to be paying way artificially high prices, you know, when that happens. The example I cite to now, and it was really interesting, was the Black Keys. You remember this. Black Keys were doing a nationwide tour in arenas. They decided to do a, I guess, soft opening, you know, an opening uh, at the Wilton Theater in L.A., a small venue. They uh, only wanted to charge, they said, a certain amount, a small amount. People went to the buying tickets on se- – legitimate tickets, bought them on the secondary market, were turned away at the gate because they bought them on, a, on StubHub or other places other than the official site. And then we find out, okay, so you see that. And then you find out that they were selling tickets in the back door for exorbitant prices uh, through their own official, you know, uh, uh, ticket provider. So I warn people that when you hear artists talking about we want to, you know, get tickets, in, that most of the times that's a smokescreen for trying to hide the fact that they want to generate income. But when it's done with a real, uh, uh, really that's the intent, it's just, Kind of miss, 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 uh, good intentions gone bad.
0: Yeah. I, I, my feeling is always like, Hey, look, if you have built a fan base and you built a, you know, business around your band or your show or your, um, you know, your team or whatever, and and you can generate the demand and you have the demand and you can do the thing. You do whatever you want to, but just be like, just tell, just tell the truth. Be transparent about what you're up to. Um, because I think that like your, your fans, they want that. They, they, um, they deserve that, right? And then if you do, if they do find that you're kind of, um, talking out of both sides of your mouth, then that's, you know, that's a challenge, right? I, I know that, um, I believe strongly in the ability to generate demand for almost anything, but I think if you consciously are underhanded or misleading to your customers, that they, they eventually catch on to that and that turns people off. But that's, you know, that's sort of been me. Yep. Now, let me ask you as well, because I know that um, we talked about about California, we talked about some of the big issues at the federal level, uh, even internationally, but is there anything that we should be paying attention to at the state level? Because sometimes uh, some of the either actions that are being taken are at the state level or those things that tend to bubble up and become uh, national issues.
1: Well, great question. There's so much going on. So... um there is a lot of activity at the state level uh, with regard to ticketing, um, some of it positive. There are a number of states that are, um, let me go back a little, there are a number of states that have enacted measures that protect transferability, have enacted laws that you can't provide a non-transferable ticket without providing the consumer with a transferable option, which is of course something we've advocated for and it's worked really well. Uh, it helps keep prices down, and uh, it uh, allows a consumer to do what they want with their ticket when they want to. So there are a number of states that are entertaining uh, bills that provide for that, as does the BOSS Act, I will point out. And, of course, that's vigorously fought by the primary side who are trying to uh, use transferability as a means to thwart competition. So there's a lot of state legislative activity uh, as uh, other things that are happening in the industry are teams taking away tickets from brokers. Um, we call it consolidation, going uh, with uh, uh, either doing it themselves or thinking they can do it themselves, only to find that it's not that easy to to to, to understand the market. Um, and but are taking away or placing other restrictions on. Uh, not only brokers' tickets, but fans' tickets. So those are the big things that I see happening uh, in the industry now.
0: Yeah, and, and do you expect that, um, you know, especially with the transfer, transferability thing, do you, do you expect that um, there's going to be a big wave of uh, states that are likely to allow transferability? Because I think right now the big ones, if I'm not mistaken, New York still allows people to transfer tickets, and uh, is it Colorado? Is the other, yeah, there's, the other
1: big ones yeah New York is one of probably the first was probably the first Colorado has a law in the recent times there's been bills passed in uh, Virginia uh, in um, Connecticut um, Illinois has some protections so there are some states that are um, you know doing that it's a very tough battle to be candid with you you uh, you know, they. Uh, uh, I give you one example. Indiana was Indiana was entertaining a law like that, and it had traction. The arguments are so compelling, and then all of the venues. You know, this uh, coalition by brought together by Ticketmaster uh, of venues um, where the Indianapolis Motor Speedway comes out against the bill. It's hard to get that bill passed. So it's not easy sledding, David. Right always tough battles, but we're, you know, I think the education part is really important. I don't think that if you talk to a fan who has a ticket, they would know that there's a ticket to license that could be revoked, not because you do something unsavory at the event, but just because if they want to impose, them, you know, that the ticket is not yours to do what you want with it when you want. And I think that's part of our education process. So there's it's a lot of education going on. Um, we have a protect ticket rights initiative where we're trying to get that message out, but there's a lot of powerful people. You know, you don't become, uh, uh 80% of the primary side, uh, without having some, some, some muscle. So it's, it's tough sledding, but we're, we're fighting the fight.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of to wrap this up here a little bit, I do want to, because you talked about education and I mentioned a couple times here that you are the executive director of the NATB. So um, explain to people who maybe A, are anti-NATB or B, haven't joined the NATB yet, or C, maybe considering joining the NATB. Can you give me a little bit, give us a little bit of your pitch for the, you know, why being a member is important, you know, uh, what some of the value is there? Well,
1: I think the most important value is that without the NATB, the broker community has no voice. Uh, you can't rely on the exchanges, and I use the term exchange for, you know, the, the marketplaces to carry the weight of, uh, importance for the broker community. So you need to have a voice. I think, uh, you know, we've done a good job of getting that voice out with the limited, uh, uh, you know, number of members and resources. I think we could do so much more if we had more support among the broker community. I think the fact that the Better Business Bureau is putting out, um, you know, tips that make sure the consumer is uh, a member of the NATB. I get inquiries all the time about, you know, whether a member is, uh, uh, whether a potential seller is a member of the NATB. I think it's important. There's also a sense in the broker-to-broker community of the uh, value of, dealing with the natb members and uh you know there's a there's a laundry list of benefits but the truth of the matter is that the key is that uh united the broker community stands divided it falls uh there's a lot of entrepreneurial people in this industry and a lot of you know people getting uh their businesses are are facing tremendous obstacles and you know look we were able to get a uh you know a seat at the ftc panel with the top people in the industry which i thought was a tremendous accomplishment and i think we could do more if we had more support among the broker community and i think if the more you clean up the broker side of the business the better it is because i do believe uh, that there's gonna be a line drawn pretty, I think people are starting to recognize the importance of, of, of a re, of resellers and brokers to the ecosystem. I also think they're gonna demand that brokers abide by certain rules. Uh, you know, our consumer protection measures, NATBs, have been, uh, astringent, if not more than any legislative or regulatory, um, you know, terms put on resale. So I do believe in my heart, that the value of resellers will be recognized, um, in the ticket as well, in the ticket environment and that it's going to be a dividing line between people who do resell right and those that don't.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I want to emphasize before I let you go is that despite your role as being the executive director of the NATB, one thing that I've always valued is that you don't just sit there and go, well, all brokers are right everybody's doing everything completely right. And anybody who says that is a complete jerk, um, because, you know, you have been a strong advocate, at least in my opinion, for making sure that, um, this idea of resale done right is what kind of comes through and what is, um, you you know, people should keep in mind. Right. So, you know, and I, I think that's really important, um, to recognize and to highlight because if not, it becomes very easy for people to, um, Paint the paint the entire industry, you know, primary and secondary, with a broad based brush, a broad base brush that says every everybody's a crook, everybody's bad, everything's kind of uh, got a hidden agenda, you know, whatever argument they're making. And you know, I have always felt like it's not true, um, and that like most of the people I meet, you know, on both sides of the industry, really have their heart in the right place.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate that, but I will tell you that having done this for 25 years, the people I have met, and I'm passionate about the ticket industry, ticket resellers, and the NATB, the people that I've met, the resellers that I've met through my role are some of the most ethical, hardworking, generous, good, you know, people. I'm I'm really proud to be associated with. You know, some of the things we don't promote that much. Uh, but, you know, we've got this tremendous charity. We're a national partner of the Ronald McDonald House. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we do some great things. We're starting this initiative called the Women's Leadership in, um, Initiative. And it's to, uh, help, um, the mission is to, you know, encourage and, and help and mentor and, uh, educate, uh, women in the ticketing industry. So we're, you know, we do a lot of things we're really proud of. And I'm, I could not emphasize enough how much I value, you know, the best people, I, some of the best people I've ever met. I've met that are ticket resellers and members of NATB who devote unselfishly time and money and effort to, uh, an industry-wide interest that may not always be consistent with their own personal business interests. So I'm uh, proud to uh, have been uh, uh, able to uh, work with these, these, you know, people who are, like I said, generous, hardworking, ethical, do the right thing.
0: Yeah, and one one more thing before we go is also I want to make sure that we tell people about the WTC this year, which I know I think if I'm not mistaken, your keynote speaker is Bill Walton.
1: Yeah, so we uh, uh, run a uh, trade show convention every year called the World uh, called the World Ticket Conference, worldticketconference.com. dot com. Um, it is. Uh we've uh, you know this year it's at the Venetian. Um I think the dates are July seventeenth through nineteenth, right around there. Uh, it is a, a, an event chock full of interesting content. You know, we always have a presentation on commitments already from Ticketmaster comes and does a a, a, a nice session. StubHub does a session. I think we've got commitments from other uh, from Vivid to to do that uh, this year. Uh, so we get all, you know, we're kind of like the Switzerland, I think. You know, we want to bring in everybody and have everybody's voice heard. Uh, we have great attendance. It's, you know, I'm very proud of it because it's, we don't have a gig, you know, we, we have to be cognizant of, uh, you know, the fiduciary obligations. So we, we make money. We don't lose money. We don't use dues to pay this, but it's a fantastic content. We get a lot of primary people. Last year we had the NFL. Uh Legends, the, you know, Chad Estes from Legends was the keynote. This year our keynote is Bill Walton, which I think is going to be ex- excellent. Uh, from my discussions with him and his team, it's going to be fantastic. He, You know, the big issue for him was, uh, you know, he wants to make sure he has enough time to sign everybody's autographs and talk with everyone. So um, I think it's going to be a great conference, and I would uh, encourage everybody to sign up.
0: Yeah, I've been, I think it's great. Uh, I had, not, I had a ch- chance to speak a couple years ago. Uh, if Bill Walton signed an autograph, I might even, you might even see me at this one this year. Um, Gary, All right. <laughs> Gary. where do people find you on the internet? Where can people find out more about what you're up to?
1: So I, um, you know, w- my personal website is AdlerLawPLC.com. I've posted some blogs up there, uh, and, uh, that describes my business practice natb.org is where you could find out more information about natb. If you want to get do's and don'ts about ticketing, go to the Better Business BBB.org, the ticket site there, and we uh, we work with the BBB on the content there.
0: Awesome. Well, Gary, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Dave, thanks for having me, and uh, I always enjoy the podcast, and hopefully, I'll enjoy uh, this one when I listen.
0: Oh, I'm certain you will. What did you think of my conversation with Gary Adler from the NATB? Let me know. It's Email dave at davewakeman.com. As always, I dig it. If you check out my website, find out what I'm working on, visit me. It's davewakeman.com. Connect with me on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Dave Wakeman. Follow me on Twitter. It's at David Wakeman. And if you know the person who has the ad Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, get it for me. The guy had not tweeted since 2010. I want that social media handle. As I mentioned at the start, Booking Protect is looking for ticket guides to review shows and events. So if you're passionate about shows and sporting events, concerts, theater, comedy, which I know you are because you're listening to this podcast, um, you're a writer or a vlogger or have some sort of um, willingness to share your ideas uh, with social, social media followers and people who visit the websites, um, check out the link that's going to be included in my show notes today uh, and get yourself signed up to be a, Booking Protect Ticket Guide. Also, if you listen to this podcast regularly, um, I, I hope that you have signed up for the Talking Tickets newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter comes out on Friday mornings here in the states. Um, five top stories, stories from the week with uh, some analysis, some action items, and some supporting ideas or comments or, or documents. You can get that by either sending me an email, david@davewakeman.com, with the Talking Tickets subject line or by going to my website davewakeman.com and finding out uh, the Talking Get Talking Tickets newsletter tab. It'll take you there um, and get the newsletter. It's great. Um, the open rate on is between 50 and 60% every week. Uh, the clicks are over 10%. So people fi- seem to find it super valuable. So make sure you get that. Also, on Thursday, March 12th, at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, I am doing a webinar called Five Ways to Effectively Sell Your Tickets Using the Secondary Market. Uh, you can get that by sending me an email, uh, dave at I will include a link to the sign up page in the show notes as well. Um, it's going to be great. I did a survey in the Talking Tickets newsletter over the last couple weeks, and one of the issues that came back over and over again was people were looking for uh, ways to understand the secondary market pricing and some of the secondary market platforms. So I wanted to put together a real quick webinar to share some ideas that might be useful to people. So check that out. As always, thank you for booking Protect for being my partner in the podcast Um, Make sure you check out the Ticket Guy program or uh, as the coronavirus is making uh, refunds and thinking about worst case scenarios prominent in people's mind, check out BookingProtect.com. Find out uh, how you can become a partner of Booking Protect. Um, Check them out. They give the best customer service in the world. Uh, They are some of the nicest people I know and they are just fantastic. So BookingProtect.com. As always... Also, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for paying attention to the newsletter, the podcast, the Twitter, all that stuff. I mean, it means the world to me. Uh, Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.